Hello. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Sarah Black. And I'm Jeffrey Lilly. And today we are talking about Tichaba. Uh, one of the most important, pivotal, iconic. I think all those words apply. Yeah. Characters from the Salem Witch Trials. She was a South American indigenous woman at the time living in Salem Village, enslaved by Reverend Paris and the first to be accused of witchcraft. And and full confession, which we'll, we'll get to, and admittance of. and Yes, the first to confess as yeah. well. So it's going to be a wild ride today. A, a confession that would end up sending quite a few shockwaves through this community. But before we talk about her, we've got a bit of catching up to do. Tour Corner! No, not yet, Jeffrey. Okay, sorry. I get excited. Um, I know, we're still technically on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> this is our work. This is our job. Uh, what do you do for a living? We're, we're professional podcasters at this point. Um, Dare I say. <gasps> goodness. Can you say that? Can know. we say that? Sure. You just did. <laughs> I, just, I just said it. It's now a thing. I've put it out into the ether. Um, so we took a little... What, what do we do? Well, okay, so uh, there was the holidays... And then uh, we took a little break, and then we pre-record some episodes, which is the game and the, the interview with Eric. And and then you went on a long trip. I did. I was gone for a couple weeks, went over to the UK and Prague, because why not? And you had fun. I did. I had fun. Uh, got some bucket list items uh, checked off of the bucket list. I guess that's how that works. Uh, saw some great graveyards, cemeteries, historical things. Any witches? No. Did I see any? Yeah. No. Which related stuff. Yes. Which yes. we will talk about later. Yep, a little bit. But for those of you wondering, uh, we're not going to get into like my whole trips and travels. This is going to take uh, a whole little while. So we're going to put that on the Patreon. Uh, I got Surprise! S- yeah. So if you want to hear about the places I went, the things I saw, which trial related stuff, uh, cemeteries, I know a lot of you are into that sort of stuff, human remains, skull moss. No skull moss, but definitely human remains. Definitely skulls. Definitely skulls. Uh, we'll get into all that. Got some cool video for you guys. Uh, so check all that out on the Patreon probably within the next week. Uh, I'll get that all up for you. Um, yeah, we'll do a little recording after this of your time in England, and then we'll do a little compilation video as well. So the episode, the extra bonus mini episode, will be available to all patrons, and then, of course, for the video, the Charmed Tears and Up. Thank you, thank you all. But yeah, lots of great episodes. I gotta tell you, I was laughing out loud with each game episode <laughs> and Eric's interview, had me dying. So I haven't listened to, to Eric's interview. Uh, I've been busy since I got back. But the game ones I listened to, I did a lot of, tra- obviously I was traveling, but I had like whole days where I was like on the train for like five hours and like, and then the airport and then like on a flight and I was listening to it on a train and I was sitting there and. Um, <laughs> did you burst out in the middle of the train car? I just like couldn't stop laughing. Yes. <laughs> oh, like I'm so there, happy. That's like, so funny. It's and so like, funny. People were like giving me looks. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> listening to myself talk. We got so many great responses. Like some said that they weren't feeling very well, um, that they were under the weather and they threw that on and it just boosted their mood instantly. Someone else said that they were at work and listening and kept getting look weird looks from their coworkers because they, as you were, just yeah, bursting yeah. out in laughter. I'm, I'm also really glad that you were all able to follow along 
on that adventure. Uh, Me too. So thank you for uh, joining us and uh, playing along. Uh, I Sarah was a little worried. I was so worried. I, I'll fully admit, I wanted to almost kick that whole idea off the schedule because yeah. I did not think we were going to be able to pull it off. Yeah. I think we did. I think we did a good I job. I stand corrected. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. There so if go. you if you haven't listened to the game, part one and part two, um, where we play the board game Afflicted with some fellow tour guides, hop on back a couple episodes and do yourself a favor because it's just going to make your day. At least I hope it will. Yeah. And then go listen to, to Eric Rodnizer's interview because he is the genuine madman of Salem. He was great. And speaking of episodes, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. So I know both of us are like (laughs) dreadfully single. I think I'm getting my nails done that day. Oh, that's nice. That's I already treated myself to a Valentine's Day gift. I will share it with you for our next episode because it's fun. I'm looking at you suspiciously. And I feel like some people will be entertained by it as much as I will be. And you may be too. I don't know. I'm Anyways. a little nervous, but sure. <laughs> um, it was a post Gulu Bingo buzzed purchase. So if that tells you anything, it doesn't because it's like nine o'clock at night. What do you? No, and I only had like one drink. <laughs> 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 but yes, we are doing a Valentine's Day episode since our episodes drop on Tuesday, and it just happens to be the fourteenth of February. We will be covering Salem love stories, both historic and current. So if you or someone you know fell in love in which city or got married here or engaged here. Or out of love. Or out of love. Maybe you had a really bad date. Yep, or several. Or several. Maybe your date turned out to be a ghost or a blood-sucking vampire. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not talking about my dates. No judgment, (laughs) Jeffrey. No judgment. I'm just saying. Some people may not be prepared for that if you start whipping out, you know. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. So say any of those things have happened to you or someone you know, please send us an email or a direct message or If you're feeling really lazy, you could also send us a voice message, but we would prefer if it was written out. Um, You can do that at hello at SalemThePodcast.com. We'll also be covering uh, Salem So Sweet. For those of you who are around, are looking for something new, we've talked about this. Every chance we got. I don't want to say like hundreds of times, but Salem is a five-season city, and this is sort of our big winter thing. Uh, We have Salem So Sweet coming up this coming weekend. It's going to be the 10th, 11th, 12th. We're going to have ice sculptures out. Those are going out Friday. They're going to be lit on Friday. Uh, more, out, more to come out on Saturday as well. More to come out on Saturday. Uh, I'm not sure if the thing at the PEM is sold out. Check the schedule for that. I've seen some musicians out, live bands. Uh, Deal Marcus is having some really cool thing. Then they're pairing with Intramersive. Yeah, they're uh, doing like a spicy thing, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's a little spicy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So if you're looking for something to do, if you're in Salem, if you're coming to Salem for the weekend... Uh, check out Deal Marcus's schedule. Go check out uh, the the ice sculptures and just go around town. I saw Blackcraft is going to be having cookies in the shape of their witch. What? Uh, I didn't see that. Yeah. So there's like we're just going to have to hit everyone. Yeah, we're going to be going around eating chocolate, drinking wine. Well, and don't forget to the Salem Night Tour is also oh, doing yes. their anti Valentine's tour, which we did last year. Which we did last year, but this year they're partnering with the trolley, yes. so you don't have to go walk around in the freezing cold. Are we doing that? 
I think we'll probably do that uh, at we'll some point. That, yeah, yeah, it go that. However, goes on all February long. The Salem So Sweet Festival just next weekend, uh, and like we said, we'll be recapping our experience in our following episode. But I would say this is probably the most exciting ramped up event for the winter season in Salem yeah. outside yeah. of the general holidays. Yeah. So we're all very excited. And it's a great thing to do Valentine's Day shenanigans aside. It's cold, it's snowy, it's winter. It's really great to get out there and, and, and have fun. So that that's all sorts of, you know, fun special events going on in Salem. But Sarah, do we have any other special events to talk about? Well, I think we do, Jeffrey. Speaking of special events, oh, you're going to be so happy. Do you have a drum roll sound? She's getting the drum roll sound. She's checking on her phone. She's making faces. She's excited. What do we got? What do we got? expecting we're gonna have our first live show <laughs> there you go boom so we're gonna have our first live show where far from the tree cidery when march 21st why because it comes the day after our one year anniversary of dropping our first batch of episodes and what are we gonna talk about prohibition in salem so we're gonna go we're gonna drink on our anniversary. With you fine folks. With you fine folks. Uh, so it's a ticketed event. Tickets will go on sale in a couple weeks, one month out, February 21st. But so, if So you can't get tickets right now. Yeah, just clear your schedule. Book an Uber. A but hotel, there are, there are a select amount available too. Yeah, so I think, be I think a, they have a seating capacity of 50. 50. Yeah. 50. So we're going to be working with some limited numbers. So if you do really want to come, be sure to mark your calendars. Tickets go on sale February 21st. Uh, we will be giving away some tickets. And if you are in the Hocus Pocus tier of our Patreon, I, maybe we can comp them. Oh, I think I think we can definitely do that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And, so and. You know what? Uh, also, if, if you are in the Hocus Pocus here and you don't live near Salem, sorry. <laughs> just, Maybe you should come. I mean, <laughs> right? Like I perks and you also happen to live here. So so there we go. Please and thank you. There is a very good chance we'll have a live stream as well. So we're going to figure out the logistics of that. If you can't visit, say you missed the chance to buy a ticket or you live on the other side of the world. Well, hopefully we'll have a way for you to participate yep. still. Yep. So you'll be able to watch that. Otherwise, there's something else. It's 20s. Prohibition. What did I think we forgot? Oh, there we go. She oh, got it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, of course, while we are drinking Salem's best hard cider. Custom? Perhaps there may be a custom cider there. Salem podcast uh -huh. cider. Okay. So while we are drinking our cider... Listening to tales of Salem during the 1920s. We're not listening to tales. Well, they'll be listening yeah. to tales. <laughs> we'll be telling the tales. We hope you all will join us in dressing the part. A little fancy dress doesn't hurt anyone. So 20s, that is 1920s, not 1620s. 1920s attire is encouraged. If you come dressed in 1620s attire. You are totally welcome in. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Just not 2020s attire. No. I mean. Okay. Also, if you come in 2020s attire, it's you're, fine. you're also welcome. You don't. Dressing up is definitely not. Required. Uh, required Just by encouraged. any means. Yeah. 
but maybe we'll do a costume contest. Oh, a giveaway. Yeah. We get like a... Like a T-shirt, pin, all the things. Sh- not all the things, like a thing. A few things. A few things. Okay, okay. So uh, keep keep on the lookout for that. We got the dates, we got the times, we got the Patreon. Speaking of... Speaking of Patreon, before we dive into our episode, we're going to do a couple Patreon shout-outs. Yeah. Because okay. they are our favorite people. Aw. Okay, you want to go first? You want me to go first? You want to go first? I'm going to screw this up. I'll go first. A big thank you to Joni Kuntz. Thank, thank you. you jo- oh, sorry. Oh, Jinx, it, you no. owe me a soda. Maybe Joni can, can, can cover that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Joni. Hocus Pocus tier. Yep, love you guys. Uh, coming up next is Dana Brown. Thank you, Dana. I appreciate everything you do for us. Uh, Ooh, I got the next one. You're probably upset about ah, it, aren't you? I was going to jump right in. <laughs> next, we have Mel from Canada. Ah, fellow Canadian. Thank you. Oh, Canada. I'm not going to sing the whole national anthem. But we'll, we'll make you, and then we'll put it on the Patreon. Oh, good God. I mean, you keep making me do While things. you're in your ice no, outfit. you are. That is never. No. Uh, but thank you. Thank you, Mel. Oh, you get the next one, though. It's so good. <laughs> and coming up last uh, for this week, we have Mia Moon. Mia Moon. You jealous? Yeah. That's a great name. I mean, black's not bad. No, it's not, but moon is better. Mm. Wah, wah. So a big, big, endless thanks to our Patreon supporters. Every little bit helps, keeps us moving along. And, of course, if you want to... Uh, Jump on the Patreon. You know what to do. Link is in the show notes. But with that, I think it's time. Let's talk. Tichaba. Tichaba. I just had in my head, since we talked about the game episode, Mike Vicka, when you turned over the Tichaba card. He, <laughs> he loves her. He loves her. And then with good reason, too. She's a, uh, I don't even know, like a, such a strange character in, in all of this. Like, part of it, the entire thing rests on, on her. Unlike, I'd say, anyone else. Like, you can usually group them into accusers, afflicted. Uh-huh. But she's in something totally different. Category in and of herself. And it's always weird talking about her. Um, and I, I mean, you talk about her on your tour, and I talk, we all do. How um, can you not when you tell the story? But so often, I'll finish my narrative and sort of walk into the next stop or, or get more questions. People are like, well, what about, what about? And I'm like, dude, I, I, we don't know. Like, I'm so, I just, everything, what do I say? Hold on. Everything we know about her was written by someone else, right? We, we don't have, like, the journals of Tichaba or the records of, you know, or where they. I think that is what makes her testimony so captivating because we don't have any written sources left by her and granted these are filtered through those court transcribers um one of which being a putnam and very much on the pro witch hunt side but this is really the only written record we have of her or at least of of her voice and and it's also it it is just her voice but it is also I don't want to say the only, because I, I haven't nearly done that research, the only record we have of anyone in her position from that point in history. Right? You don't get to hear from the enslaved people. You, you don't. Well, at this moment in time, they could 
testify yes. against. Yes, but but we don't often get like th- their voices are not often heard. Well, because they're usually unable to read or write. Yeah. So okay. they can't leave. They can't leave letters. They can't re- leave a diary. Okay, so I see what you're saying there. Yeah. I thought you meant like in the court system, no, like no, no, no. she wouldn't be able to testify. No, 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 just like in general, like from a from a historical standpoint, it's not often we get to hear these people speak. 100%. And she has so much to say, and there is so little said, and then we go on, and there are endless amounts of, of conversations about her. Conversations that end up lasting centuries. Like Some literal centuries we're still talking about her today not only is she such a pivotal person in the story but she is perhaps one of the most misrepresented for better or worse very similar um i'm gonna make this weird jump here similar to like giles Corey. You know how sure. so many people have him pegged as this like decrepit old man, poor guy, just gets more weight. Yeah. Like, oh man, like you stick it to him. This poor old dude just minding his own business. Uh-huh. But in reality, he's got this really, really controversial past. Mm-hmm. So many people have this conception of Tichaba that oftentimes is a product of not who she really was, but is something that's been built up over time whether it be historians, poets, as we'll find out, it's other people telling her story. It, again, just plays into how unique she is, because I don't really think we see too much of that with other characters. So that's a, a you mentioned earlier, a, a place to start with what we think of her, or what do, what do you think of her? Yeah, when we say Tichaba, what do you imagine? Are you envisioning a woman of... South America? I do, think you, do you see a black woman? A mother? Are you seeing like an old woman? A young woman? I hate and, using and, this word, yeah. but we're going to use this word throughout the episode. Dare I say like an old hag, like rugged and, and disheveled? I doubt many people see late 20s, early 30s, a person of color, uh, likely of uh, in, in indigenous uh descent of indigenous to the American continents. And without question, we know these things. We're going to talk about how we know these things about her and hopefully be able to straighten out some of those misconceptions because I know I harbored some even when I moved to Salem. I probably didn't really have the fullest understanding of Tichaba. So I think there's there's that paint painting. Is it a painting? Is it a illustration? By oh, I know which one you're talking about. John, it's it's literally like right on her Wikipedia page. Yep, and she looks so en- old. Eniger and Eniger, Eniger, apologies. 1902, and she looks like this old crone, haggard, probably black m- feathers, like just not. It's just wrong. And yet, probably the most well-known representation of her. Hundred and twenty years ago. And that's still, still in our minds. Yeah. So why don't we talk or, or paint a little bit of, of what Salem, we're, we're going to get to a lot of who she was, but, but where are we at this point? Because who she is is both important, but also important to the, the narrative of Salem. Now, if you've stuck with us, we're coming up on a year. You know we talk about the witch trials. That's one of the things. Uh, if you've listened to other witch trial episodes, We're going to go a little bit through her life and and her experience uh, prior to and within the scope of the trials. 
but you've probably heard us mention her before. So you probably have an understanding of what Salem was like, of of the conditions she lived in. But we're going to give you a little bit of a refresher as well. A little recap, because it's been a while. Yeah. Also, it is currently early February. That's one thing I love about, I love and I hate about the Salem Witch Trials. I love that it gives us a chance to pick an episode and put it within the time frame that it actually happened historically. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start off in February 1692. We're going to really hone in on that moment in time. But at the same time, I found myself jumping forward to 1693. And at that point, she was still in jail. And I almost got caught up in my own little time loop in my head where it's like it's such a quick Salem witch trials happen so fast and so many people who study them are thinking about these dates as they come around. So every January, we are thinking about what kind of stirrings are going on in the Paris household. What are the girls actually experiencing? What kind of gossip is going around in town? And it goes and it goes and then you get the trials, you get the executions, you get the stay of execution and then it just starts back all over again. It's so weird. Do you ever feel that way? I feel more that way now than I did two weeks ago. Why? What I have recently learned about some of the European witch trials. Oh, interesting. Scottish in particular, but all of them. Uh, and like how long they went on? Yeah. Yeah. Like so, and, and not to get into it, because again, uh, we'll, we'll get more into it. I was up in Orkney, which is like uh, north, it's Scotland, but north of, of Scotland. And they didn't have a great answer on how many people. They didn't have a great answer on when. The first witch uh, trials uh, referendum in, in the late 1500s through 1708. And they're like, yeah, 100 more. And I think I'm going to screw the date up. So apologies. I mean, like 1654, there was like 20, 25 people. Uh, but so, so imagine like a Salem over and over and over and, and again. Yeah. And you get like a five year dip and there's no one. Then there's another one. And then there's another one. And there's two this year. And we're just like, we're not one and done. But it's like, it's fast and furious. Yeah, it's not. They're like, oh yeah, and this person, and then another generation later, you got another twenty people, and it just kept going. It's so scary, like such a scary way to live. Yeah. You never know when it's gonna. Well, I recently came across, and not to get too off topic, the Connecticut witch trials, oh, which yeah. I think we should. I think we will end up devoting a whole episode, mm-hmm. maybe even multiple. Maybe we'll do a little mini series oh, on it. Trip down to Connecticut. Okay, I didn't even think about that part, but okay. let's do it. As long as we include vampires. The Connecticut vampire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Arguably um, the origin of Count Dracula. Sure. That sounds great. A story for another time. A story for another time. Interesting. But I noticed within the Connecticut trials, it was over, uh, I think, something like 10 to 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And it was roughly 25 people or so, if I recall correctly, maybe 25 to 45, one of those two. But I know that's a big range. But it was over much longer than what we see here in Salem. So it is so unique as to how quickly this all revs up. And we'll see. And ends. And ends. And we'll see Tichiba's story kind of follow suit because after the, the trials are over, we lose track of her. So it's going to, her story is going to rev up really quickly. And then. Arguably, she's not even, she's the, 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 the spark. Yeah, the yeah, fire. you're right. She dips off while it's really in full force. Yeah, and I, I talk about this again at the end of my tour. People are like, well, like, why? 
and we'll get into that, but it is the, all the whys of this are weird. I think she sheds so much light on everything. Well, she lays kind of the groundwork of it all. She is, as you could say, one of the catalysts in this. So we've got this early February time frame. We know that the young girls, Betty and Abigail, uh, in the Paris household, which is where the enslaved woman, uh, Tichaba, lives. So she is in the thick of it from day one. Uh, They are, at this point in time, starting their behaviors, their afflictions. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, there's not like a real significant record of it or really any record. She probably saw what was going on earlier than the parents did long before anyone else oh definitely yeah it's said that the there were light symptoms starting at the end of december but it wasn't until midway through january that reverend samuel paris and his wife elizabeth noticed anything happening with betty or abigail they're not the ones taking care of the kids they're not the ones that's all on tichuba so she would have been right there probably trying to aid these children and then, of course, the finger gets turned on her. So what else is going on in Salem around this time? Just want to give them a couple more quick contextual clues. We know that the government is a little bit in flux at this moment. <laughs> I think that's a bit of an understatement. It, it is oddly in flux. And we should probably cover like the entire scope of the, the degradation and collapse of the clon- pre-colonial government. In, in a different 16th. episode. Yeah. Um, but we have not had a uh, royal governor for a few years. Phipps and Mather are over in England. That would be Increase Mather. Sorry, Increase, father of the illustrious. <coughs> sorry, <coughs> choked on something there. <laughs> Cotton <laughs> Mather. Right. Uh, they've been in England renegotiating a charter. They get awarded a new charter in late 1691. The date's escaping me at, at this point in time. I believe it's early November, November 2nd, or something along these lines. They opt not to make the winter crossing across the Atlantic. I don't blame them. That sounds horrific. But they do send a runner, right? Yeah, they send word that a new agreement has been reached. So a new charter, charter has been established. And Phipps is the new governor. And that guy gets here in like early January. 26th of January. Late January. And so now the colony knows that the new governor is coming. There is a new rule of law that is going to be coming down. It is likely going to be more in line with English common law. Uh, Their scope of government, the failed dominion of New England, uh, are all going to probably... Things are a little tumultuous. Things are going to change. And people, people know that probably a lot of the things that they've been getting away with. It's not going to fly so much anymore. Yeah. Um, and all of this adds to the turmoil of just the general who, what, where, you know, property ownership, taxes, import fees, you know, logging mills, conflicts with the indigenous. And just the general uncertainty, yeah. not knowing how it's going to change. And we don't know. And, and one thing that, that people... Just uh, even today, we like stability. And one of the things that adds to the the concept of the Salem witch trials is radical uncertainty, whether that's from the unknown indigenous conflicts, whether that's from what's going on with the crown, whatever the case may be. Or the weather. (laughs) Or the weather. 
we're in a bit of a cold snap ourselves right now. It's like four degrees outside. Imagine not having the heat that we do. Or knowing that we knew that it was coming. Yeah, we could prepare. Right. Everyone I, is staying inside. We're shuttering. And we, we've got extra blankets. Warning. Like I messaged my family and I was like, hey, like if anyone's heat goes out, don't, if you lose power, don't, don't fat, get in the car, drive, drive to someone else's house. You know, don't worry. You know, like, oh, it'll be. Don't <laughs> risk it. And then, of course, we're getting this conversation. Uh, Reverend Paris didn't always see eye to eye with the constituents in, in Salem Village. His allotment of firewood was sometimes lacking, oftentimes lacking. That was sort of how they got away with not paying him. But all these things are adding just to the general, can I use tumultuality? It's like a the um, adding to the uncertainty and I was trying to like um tumultu to I don't know if that I don't know if you can I don't think that's a word that's not a word come up with your own word all words are made up so saith Thor but yes I see what you're saying all of this is we've said this before there are so many factors adding up to create this environment and I think especially during like the 20th century in which we'll talk about. Tichaba gets very demonized. Like people like to just easily point the finger at her because how easy is that to just point the finger at someone? It's it she makes was doing exactly eh. ex- exactly it eh. makes it easier, simple. You have someone to blame, but in reality, it's so many different factors: environmental, interpersonal relations, religious, religious extremism. All these things are compounding on top of each other. But also th- with religious extremism, sure. A wet weather like today, when it's four degrees out, is the devil's fault. So anything neg- anything bad that's happening, and there's a lot bad, it's all the devil. And these young women are suffering these afflictions. Tichiba's front and center, and just goes downhill. So by the end of February... Doctors had been called to the Paris household, um, but could not deliver a diagnosis. And he had shuffled several through. I think, uh, the most infamous of is, is Dr. Griggs, of yes. course. Yes, and the last one to come, who finally was able to offer some type of explanation. Yeah, okay. Because these girls, <laughs> they, you know, and we've talked about this, they are speaking in various voices and tongues, not making any sense. They complained of aches and pinches. Um, and they sit in these catatonic states, uh, running headfirst in the walls hiding under the furniture. You were unable to communicate with them. But according to Dr. Griggs, this was all because they were, quote, under an evil hand. Ah, well, that explains that, now doesn't it? Those infamous words. Someone should have been there to hit him over the head. Like Reverend Hale? There's <laughs> so many There's so many moments in this that if you just took... Remember how I described the trials as like a Jenga? Yeah. There's so many of these moments I where think, if you pull them out. I think Tichaba, and I'll, I'll blame her later, which isn't her fault. It's Hathorne's fault. I, I think that's it. Like That's it, it? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but if Dr. Griggs could have been like, oh, they'll get over it in a little bit. Mm, no, don't you don't think, think so. it would have done it? Maybe delayed. Delayed. Maybe. It, would, it was going to happen eventually. Yeah, yeah. This was inevitable, Jeffrey? Yeah, Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, I, I, I think... I j- we'll get there. I, I think Tichiba's answer to one of Hathorne's questions is... The tipping? The end all. Okay. Like, everything else could have come and gone, 
and like something else would have replaced it or there would have been another catalyst or we, we were we were coming to this this point in the Paris household at least because Paris is an extremist nut job. But anyway. So Wednesday, they are on February 24th diagnosed as being under an evil hand. The next day, Reverend Paris and his wife Elizabeth left the home to attend lecture in a neighboring town. Here a, he could... A Thursday lecture. A Thursday lecture. Casual. I always describe it as like a, they're going to a TED Talk. That's how it feels. Right. But with like the, you know, prim and proper elites of the yeah. Salem society and, and always, religious elites. I always found it weird that it is it is a, a religious discussion talk, right? A talk about the theologians. Mm -hmm. And given what's been going on in his house, given what Dr. Griggs has said, it is wild what's going to happen like while he's away, I think just... Oh, the fact that he even left? Yeah. Why are you leaving your household? You were just told that your children that are bewitched. Is 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 a foot in your house. But at the same time, they don't have WebMD, so he had to go scoot his butt over to lecture and talk to other ministers about it. This gave him an opportunity to kind of yeah. converse with them, tell... and a chance to gossip as well. So there it just starts to spread even more. But honestly, at this point, people were well aware of Betty and Abigail's conditions. There's a great line, and I, it comes from, I think it's the Lore podcast, and we can cut this out. Uh, the cat, as black as it was, was out of the bag. Oh, nice. I know what you're yeah, talking yeah. about. <laughs> I there are some very good moments in that podcast, yeah, yeah. I will say. But while he is at lecture, his neighbor, Mary Sibley, instructed Tichaba and her husband, John Indian, to bake a witch cake. So, yes. She's also babysitting. Mary Sibley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, she didn't, didn't just, like, walk over and, like, start directing, right? She's... Watching over the children. Yeah, yeah. And... And I can only imagine how terrifying. I mean, you're like, cool, yeah, I'll watch your kids for the afternoon. No big deal. I, I, are you sure that's how it went? Yeah. I'm not sure why she was there. Or sorry, why she was. Helping out. I just, I wonder if maybe like it's because they were afflicted. Maybe. My guess is, is they were like Reverend Paris was like, hey, this is the situation. I need to leave. Please come watch over them. Okay. And then Mary Sibley's like. Oh, I know how to fix this. Let's try. But imagine a witch that, cake. Like all the issues. Imagine she probably hasn't witnessed it before, and all of a sudden you're watching these like this nine eleven year old, and they're like screaming and running headfirst in the wall. Yeah, I mean today you pick up the phone and be like, hey, yeah, you got to come pick up your literal demon children. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, nursery's closed for the day. But she has a solution or what she thinks will help them solve the mystery of who is afflicting right, the girls. Right. So I, I think it's important to note that this idea of folk magic or white magic or household remedies is not uncommon. It is not unusual. It is a fairly standard, typical practice within the Puritan they are so anti the devil, anti magic, and yet it is still woven into all sorts of things they do. It's very uh, contradictive, hypocritical. Yes, which we have acknowledged. 
So Mary Sibley. So what is a witch cake, you may ask? If you don't remember from episode two. (laughs) 50 odd episodes ago. The method is this. You would take a little bit of rye flour. You would take some urine from the afflicted girls. What? Yeah, mix it together. You bake a cake. Not 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 a cake. Not not like this isn't birthday candles cake. No, think I, I'm imagining personally, I'm imagining like a, a small version of one of Mrs. Lovett's meat pies. I, I think it's I think Slim. it's more like 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 non bread, like just a flat Oh. Meat. Really? Yeah. Well, have you ever made a witch cake, Jeffrey? You know, I, I haven't. Maybe it's something we can do for the Patreon. F*** off. <laughs> <laughs> Lemonade, sure. So they, <laughs> so they make the witch cake and feed it to the dog. The idea is that evil that was afflicting the girls was inside their bodies and that when they urinated some of that evil would be transferred into that urine, into the cake, and hopefully if the dog devoured the cake, it would inflict some type of pain on the aggressor. When we say pea cakes or witch cakes or urine cakes, everyone mostly uh, is like, ew, gross, fine, fair, I get that. But if we said blood cakes or or. No one, no one's batting an eye at blood cakes. If, if I don't I, know, I don't know. If Speak I was, for yourself. If you're like, what's the secret ingredient? And I listed blood, tears, or hair, or fingernails, no one would be shocked or surprised. I think everyone would take that in stride. Those items are already in uh, your your magical lexicon. Blood is in spells. Tears of this, right? You know that. That's in your science fiction stories. Most people balk at pea cakes they're like yeah but understand that it's the same idea so that blood if you put if you make right so if you if you read some you know sci- science fiction book and they're like oh the blood's in the spells and it has the power you're like i get that same thing with urine it's the same thing it has that commutable energy if they themselves are witches or that evil that's inside them and that's that's the idea of what's going on here so when the dog eats the cake unfortunately nothing really happens shoot which i've always thought is anyway that's De- a whole nother defective cake <laughs> defective, or, or defective cake. cake because or now, defective method because really. now we know that the girls aren't witches themselves that that source of evil is an outside source sure upon returning home The good reverend and his wife found the girls even worse than before. At this point, they were seeing actual figures instead of just feeling. Two neighbor girls also started acting out the same night as well. Anne Putnam Jr., daughter of Thomas and Anne Putnam, and Elizabeth Hubbard, niece of Dr. Griggs and living in his household. So very close to... The Paris family. Shocking how that works. Now it is the next day, so the day after the pea cake, that Tichiba's name is first given. Betty and Abigail were inconsolable. They said they could see her form flying around the room, their bodies contorted, 
They grabbed at their necks as if they were being strangled, and their elders pressed them for names. Who's harming you? And they said, Tichaba. Her arrest warrant was issued four days later, on March 1st, 1692. But we're going to pause there, and before we continue through the trials, we're going to talk a bit about Tichaba's origins. This is like my favorite part about covering these people, because I think a lot of our understanding of whether it's Bridget Bishop, Rebecca Nurse, whoever, we know them through the witch trials. It's kind of hard to track people down prior to the 1600s or in the early 1600s. And we're going to see even more difficult with Tichaba, she being an enslaved person. Well, the, the, the problem is that like people kept decent records like ship manifests and like some taxes or some marriage licenses. And that's really the only way you're going to track anyone until their name, until their role requires more record. Or until literacy becomes more prevalent and people start keeping diaries, yeah. write, writing letters, you know, documents just become less scarce as you move through time. So Tichaba is. Oh, and speaking of sources, before we go any further, because these directly pertain to Tichaba's origins, the most important source for this episode, hands down, is Tichaba, Reluctant Witch of Salem, Devilish Indians and Puritan Fantasies by Elaine G. Breslaw, Breslaw, Breslaw. which came out in 1996. This is the first in-depth look at Tichaba as just a person and following her perspective. Uh, Lane Breslaw was the first person to go down to Barbados and try to track down her actual origins. So a lot of what we know about her early life or what we can deduce, I should say deduce because we don't know for certain, comes from this book in particular. Another one to look out for is Six Women of Salem by Marilyn K. Roach, which we have talked about before. One of the six women that she covers is Tichaba. So you get historical fiction on. on Yeah, Marilyn Roach takes some liberties in that book, but I think she's trying to fill in the gaps. I I really enjoy. So people like what's the best book about Salem and what you're going to say next is top book. But closely thereafter is, is Six Women of Salem. Because uh, while it's very, very historically accurate, she puts these women, we can understand their world better, right? Like you wake up and you can smell the sea salt Right, it's all about perspective. And like, oh, I, I never really thought about like what the earth would have felt, like what their days would have been like. Once you read Six Men of Salem, it gives you a much better understanding of like some of the day-to-days going on. I think it does a good job at humanizing them. Yeah, yeah. It forces you to be in their first-person perspective. Where in which the next book. The Salem Witch Trials, a day-by-day chronicle of a community under siege. Is literally just, on Tuesday, this happened. These people went to Salem. This arrest warrant was written. These people were brought to jail. Da, da, da. It has nothing or very little of that humanization. So that's another good one to follow kind of Tichaba's day-to-day experiences. And the last source I will plug 
is actually a person. Um, special thank you to Maya Rook. Oh, she is. I missed this. You did. She is a cultural historian specializing in the Salem witch trials. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, she gave a lecture on Tichaba and how she's been portrayed through the centuries. It was absolutely brilliant. Very very much what we were gearing towards and you can find out more about her at illusorytime.com all of her information will be plugged in the show notes uh where do we begin let's go all the way back well i was i'm gonna gonna jump in here uh tichaba indian is is how she's referred is how she's called in in all the trial documents in, in all the records we have of her is, is Tichaba. Sometimes spelled in a wide variety of ways, but Tichaba Indian. Or native. I yeah. think she was referred to as native, native on at least slave one occasion. Native, yeah. And that gives us a good indicator to what Elaine Breslau covers in her book. Tichaba's race is a topic of conversation, not so much during the trials. It definitely plays into how people perceive her mm-hmm. and why she is so quickly targeted, but it becomes more of a factor in later interpretations of her post-trials. So the poems, the stories, the history books, they're, all going, they're all going to distort that identity. But she is, according to her contemporaries, people that lived during the time that she lived, she is recognized as an Indian, um, as a Native American. If she had been African, if she had been black, they would have designated her as such in the records. Um, There are two examples in the Salem Witch Trials in particular, Mary Black, which mm-hmm. we mentioned in the game episode, and Candy, I believe her name was Candy, who was also from Barbados, but both of which were identified as black and as African. Where in which Tichaba is Tichaba Indian over and over and over again, which gives us a very strong indicator that while we do know that she's from Barbados, how did she get there? So unfortunately, everything we know about her early life is, as I said, speculation. We do not have a written record of her birth, of her moving from South America to Barbados. This is theory, but it is strongly backed by historical evidence and a significant amount of research uh, uh, by land. So Tichaba was likely from an Arawak-related tribe residing in the northeastern part of South America, uh, which would be modern-day Venezuela or Guyana. Google them at, if you don't know what the the, uh, greater American continents look like, have a quick Google, right? Because uh, sometimes we forget sort of the the shape of it, right? Like you have that uh, Florida in America, uh, the the Mexican peninsula that comes off of that, and then Central America, which we tend to call it, is sort of this steep angle to South America. And South America sits at an oddly farther dynamic, sort of if you're looking straight down a map to the right, than I think a lot of people realize. And where Venezuela and Guyana are at the very top of that continent. So just south of the West Indies. Right. And Barbados. Right. So like 
if you're, oh, she came from Venezuela, where is that? It's at the very top of the continent of what we tend to call South America. And if you're living in that coastal region, in some of those islands, if you look at the rivers, if you look at the maps, there's a lot of sea trade. Uh, and of course, the Spanish have been here for, at this point, centuries. Uh, so they've built up that sea trade. And of course, we have the, the, the slave trade as well. And oftentimes these in indigenous peoples are taken uh, from their communities for, I mean, people are shit. For money. But uh, also sometimes because of their skills that these people may have had as well. But when we look at that, that section, Venezuela is very close to Barbados, Barbados and, 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 and the West Indies. Now there was a group of Arawaks in particular known as the Tetebatana. There's a very good chance that this is where Tichaba's name is derived from. Mm -hmm. um, it would just be kind of like a shortened version, although this is not 100% conclusive. There are a variety of theories as to where her name came from, but this is kind of the reasonable assumption. I also saw that some of them are, get genderized. Is that the right term? And once you become an enslaved person, sometimes those extra syllables... And we see this th throughout the centuries uh, and, and, and even uh, uh, immigrants uh, coming in from Europe or Ireland, they'll start dropping parts of their names. And I'm not saying she did that intentionally, but when you're looking at these people and you're like, I'm, who cares? And that just gets truncated uh, into what she tends to be called today. And uh, I mean, there's a, a very high probability that she had a legitimate like real like her own personal name her yeah, name oh. when she lived amongst her people oh, she no, had an I, actual name this is probably something that was just forced upon her I when she was taking at all right when she was taken into captivity this is something that was just given to her which is usually the case and Tichaba was just a child when she was captured and brought to Barbados and sold into slavery. I believe the earliest known record that we have that can be attributed to her, and it's not even the correct spelling, but we'll get into that. It comes from Barbados, and it puts her between the ages of 9 and 14 in 1676. Now, that is not saying that she came to Barbados in 76, there's actually an instance two years prior where an English merchant named Peter Roth, who was looking to capture some indigenous people, um, he had gone over to that area and brought a group back. And the reason why this is kind of like a standalone moment in the research is because this wasn't very common. Barbados was already bringing in large sums of African people. Um, the indigenous folk, they kind of viewed them as harder to control and to curb. So bringing in more indigenous slaves was not something that they were looking to do. However, the Arawak group was renowned for, as you mentioned, their skills. So their skills in cooking, cleaning, agriculture. If you have uh, an enslaved individual who has more skills in something that you're looking at. And that's also one of the reasons I think we see Tichaba in the role that she was in is likely because of where she came from originally. She had a wider skill set than just like hard labor or work in the fields. Well, that and indigenous 
weren't really working in the fields that much. It's just, it wasn't, at that point, there had been so much conflict, not just up here, but also down south, that they weren't, when she comes to Barbados, she may have rarely, if ever, seen another person that looked like her because it just wasn't commonplace to keep Indian slaves anymore. They were too concerned about their quote-unquote unruliness. So the reason why I point out Peter Roth, that English merchant that goes in September 1674, two years prior to this document we have that we can kind of pinpoint her at, is because this wasn't very common. So there is a very good chance, although we don't have any proof, that Peter Roth picked up Tichaba. He describes going along the coast, seeing multiple bands of indigenous, and it was a group of women and children that he specifically targeted. So she would have been a, a, chi- yeah, a child at that time. So I'm not saying that was her, but there's a good chance that it is. I wanted to share a little bit about the Arawak people so we can kind of get a sense of the environment that she lived in, uh, where she came from before she was forced into servitude. They had brownish skin, black hair, uh, said to resemble other indigenous of Central America and the Caribbean. Shorter in stature, though, and slightly lighter in their skin tone. This is interesting. They were known for their personal hygiene and their attention to their appearance. They bathed several times a day. That's a lot. That's a lot, right? Uh, we, that's a lot. I know. I, don't, I have har- hardly enough time to bathe once a day. Once upon waking and then once after each meal. That's that's a lot of f. I don't. I know. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. I mean, like you're like, well, gotta do the dishes and take a bath real quick. Hold on a second. This made them very good swimmers, though, because they would bathe in the local ponds and rivers. You're not supposed to swim after five minute, five out, an hour after eat. They're break breaking the rules. Breaking the rules. God damn, witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sarah. No swimming after food. Now I'm reading right from Elaine Breslau's book here because I can't say it any better myself. Arawak people were known for their good humor and generosity. An unidentified visitor to Guyana in 1665 remarked on the abundant food supply, fish in the lakes and rivers, deer on the land, and of the root vegetables, cassava and sweet potatoes. The local people made very practical use of that abundance in a varied diet and took advantage of the leisure time to enjoy various forms of entertainment. He noted they are great lovers of fine gardens, drinking, and dancing. They had a penchant for running, wrestling, and ball games as well. The dancers usually included both men and women who sometimes danced together and sometimes danced in lines facing each other. How scandalous. They were line dancing. Goodness, the the Victorian courts of the ages would have, I guess it would have been Georgian. Nope, pre-Georgian. Anyway. Their standard wear um, was a typical waist belt with a little bit of cloth 
Uh, women had a little bit more in front. It kind of acted as an apron, but completely topless. Free boobin, love it. At their peak, Arawak villages were quite large and could have up to 3,000 people in them. And again, women of the Arawaks in particular were known for their great skill in preparing food, caring for animals and children, weaving cloth and other domestic uh, tasks. It's said that Arawak women seem to be perpetually at work after a morning bath, because remember, they... Right, you got to take your morning bath. Take the morning bath. They cleaned the houses, fetched the water and firewood, cooked food, prepared and fermented their drink, which was made from cassava, that root vegetable, um, like a replacement for beer, cider, you know, uh, or sweet potatoes. Apparently, you can ferment sweet potatoes. You can ferment like... Any, I mean, the you Russians can ferment, ferment anything. regular potatoes. Huh? So Russians, vodka, potatoes. Can you make vodka from sweet potatoes? I'm probably. Probably. It's a potato. It's a potato. I love sweet potatoes. With the vodka, if the vodka, if the Russians can make vodka from regular potatoes, then. Well, yeah, they they were literally fermenting. Yeah, I just answered my own question. Let's go get it. We'll we'll include that recipe on the Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, or at the live show. No, they're not going to let us do that. Oh, right, it's cider at Far From The Tree. It's cider, and they're going to be making it. Pre-shots. Our own homemade fermented sweet potatoes. There you go. Sounds like a great recipe for disaster. <laughs> Controlled chaos. I love it. <laughs> the looks I'm getting. <laughs> but it's because of all these domestic tasks and, and having that knowledge that Arawaks were more coveted as household uh, slaves. And one last note about their just belief system, which I found interesting because it ties into her confessions later on. They, of course, they had their own set of deities and of evil spirits as well. And there was something called the Kenimas. It's K-E-N-A-I-M-A-S. And this was kind of like their evil being, but it could be a person, someone that looks like you or me. Birds were often suspected of harboring these evil spirits and were held in great awe. Rather suspicious considering some of Tichiba's testimony. In addition to that, a way to avoid being attacked by an evil spirit, you would pretty much like hurt your eyes. So whether it was like taking a a harmful substance, like a spicy substance, rubbing it in your eyes, blindfolding yourself, putting mud on them, whatever, to quote unquote blind you from the evil spirit. Does that sound familiar? One second. As Magistrate Hathorne asks, who is it that hurts them now? And Titcher responds with, I am blind now. I cannot see. So, yes, that sounds vaguely familiar. Isn't that wild? So there well, I've always said, sorry. Go ahead. No, what were you going to say? Like, like when, when, when Titcher was colorful anecdotes, which we'll get into in a little bit, uh, there's no evidence 
of the correlation. But when she starts coming out with colorful birds, large birds, colorful cats, black, red, yellow, green, giant green, giant yellow birds, I'm like, well, if you're from the tropics, maybe if you've seen a parrot or macaw around, that might be something. And yeah. And obviously she's not claiming that she sees these things literally, but she is pulling from her own understanding and her own experience as someone who lived in South America and then subsequently Barbados. Because so many people, and we're jumping the gun a tiny bit here, why I get asked, why did she tell the things that she said? and Or why did she say the things we said? And part of it is because they were leading and, and, and Hawthorne leads her down this road. But the answers she comes up with are, are so unique that I, I think, in my opinion, really the only exp- good explanation for where these answers come from is from an experience. And that experience, in, in I think, greater opinion, is of uh, her being from an indigenous culture. Right. From living in, in, in whether it's Barbados or in Venezuela, mm-hmm. And, and having access literally just to these, to a more colorful world, to, to, to a brighter, more, more, you, you see things. But to the Puritans, hearing anything, any shred of that secondhand, that's nothing that they have ever even imagined. Which they of can't course is bad shit, because Paris lived in... Well, yeah, he lived in Barbados for a hot second, but like... Yeah, he probably never, he probably lived in like the villa and like complained about the sand oh no we'll talk about him i've got some details about his time in barbados but no villa but probably had his head buried in the sand (laughs) all right so bathe several times a day cooking blah 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 i still can't get over that i I, i'm thinking just a tiny bit here right and the mat it's hot it's venezuela it's central there's cooling off And, and and have you seen a map you look at like a mm-hmm. map, right? There's a lot of rivers, a lot of inlets. A lot. And maybe at some point the practice just became like, shit, man, it's hot. Like, how was breakfast? It was good. <laughs> and that then becomes the tradition. And when you when you live in that community and you have access to these rivers, you, you're in, like, th- these are places that people today s- s- spend millions of dollars to, 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 to live go in. To go visit yeah. and see. Yeah. And so they're just like, yeah, let's just, let's go chill. I get it. I get it. It sounds like a great life. Yeah. And it, it, it was upsetting to read about because you realize what she missed out on. And she gets brought up here. Ugh. Like, don't get me wrong. I love, I love, I love my New England. Yeah, but I, w- <laughs> I would not choose it over that. <laughs> so with this information, although it's not a direct description of Tichaba, we can kind of get an idea of what she looked like. Mm-hmm. what her childhood was like before she was removed to Barbados, what her family may have been like, the activities, her skill set that she came to her new home with. So again, as we said at the beginning, maybe you imagine Tichaba as this African older woman. She is much younger and fully of South American descent. I think uh, oftentimes she gets rolled into the idea, not necessarily the description, the idea of the crone, of the hag, of this, she's Tichiba, she's, she knows the dark magic, she's secrets, and, and, and that's what we get. And it's just wrong. Just full-blown wrong. 
So we can hypothesize, theorize that based on the records we do have, she arrived in Barbados probably between 1674 and 1676. And, and I know it's not like the, the best allegory because we're, we're off by a century or more, uh, but if you've seen like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and, and, and sort of things like that, that's sort of a... Oh, like Barbados in general? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like Tortuga in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Very bustling. She would have came into port where mm. folks from all over the world are mm. sailing in and out. There are goods being processed, like imported, it, exported. It, it, it's English controlled, but it, there's French, there's Spanish, there's Portuguese. Uh, you know, th- there are different religions. There's Puritans. There's Catholics. There's pro- there's also it, it is must have been a, a, a <sighs> crazy. Yeah, a sight to see for yeah. sure. Um, while she was there, though, she spent most of the time on a sugar plantation owned by a Mr. Samuel Thompson. He had inherited it from his father. It was located about five miles inland from the coast. So she's kind of, if you're looking at a map of, Bar- a map of Barbados, she was located in the St. Thomas Parish, which is right in the center. That plantation was about 300 acres, and on it, uh, they kept about 67 or so enslaved people. And she was recorded working on his plantation in 1676 under the category of, quote, working children between the ages of 9 and 14. When she goes to Barbados, there are very few American Indians on the island. They had stopped the importation of those types of slaves. There's a good chance that she rarely saw someone that looked like her. Also, one of the things that they did intentionally <coughs> was split people up. Yes. And like a family unit and, and, and imported uh, uh peoples from the same region but one of the things so dialects became difficult conversation became difficult uh so you know if you bring over a hundred people from a, a, a specific village you don't want them being able to talk and communicate so you're going to split those people up intentionally into smaller groups and then mix them with other smaller groups so they feel alienated and they feel more alone and they're less likely to rise up yeah. and take over the plantation so like while oftentimes we talk uh you know african slaves the african continent is fucking massive and yeah a lot of the uh, in, enslaved individuals the ports were on the gold coast or whatever um but they came from many different villages in many different places ivory coast yes Thank you. I was like, is that a real place? It might be. There might be a Gold Coast too. But yes, Ivory Coast. The Ivory Coast. So when you brought uh, these enslaved individuals in these places, they weren't all in the same community. They weren't all allowed to be in the same place. They weren't allowed to talk to each other. They they couldn't even speak the same language, and especially for someone like Tichuba, who was already in a cultural uh, or, or, or racial minority Sure, that there might have been people who might have looked similar or might have had it, but they weren't, if they, if they weren't Arawak, if they weren't from that, that place, then, then she would have just been even more alone. Some silver lining, I guess, the terrain and the weather would have resembled very much uh, her homeland. So it's not like we're in New England winters just uh, yeah, yet. No, we're so still in the Caribbean or 
the, 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 the subtropics. And she saw a little bit better treatment, being that she was Arawak. She would have been kept in the main house rather than been forced to work in the fields. She had knowledge of the plant and animal life on the island, so they would have made use of that. As well as textiles and just uh, uh, home care and things along those lines. She would have worked directly under the mistress of the house, which would have been Thompson's mother. And it's likely from her, Elizabeth, (laughs) another Elizabeth, that Tichaba developed an understanding of English life and customs. And if you want more information on her time in Barbados, again, Tichaba, Reluctant Witch of Salem by Elaine Breslau. But her time in Barbados comes to an end. Because of a Mr. Samuel Paris. And weather, since his father had invested and there was a uh, hurricane storm wiped out uh, a good portion of their investments. He'd been up to Boston already to go to school here. And and he goes back down uh, to Barbados and then uh, their family's investments kind of go by the wayside. And he's like, oh, I can go up to Boston and find my fortune with my college buddies is sort of the, the idea there. Paris came to Barbados in the 1670s, uh, came down there specifically to settle some family estates after his father's death. But instead of living on the plantation which I think he may have actually had multiple plantations at that point. There were yeah. multiple. Oh, I wasn't it just sure if it was stakes in or. Multiple. Um, but regardless, Samuel did not want to live on the plantation. He instead got a place in one of the towns and worked as a credit agent for other sugar planters. Well, he'd, he'd been to Harvard, so. Had he been to Harvard already? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure on that. Yeah. Because he, he wasn't even thinking about becoming a minister at this point. No. So he's, his father has stakes in Barbados and, and lives there. And again, I'm not sure if it's one like plantation or like. Multiple stakes in multiple plantations. Right. And his, so, and then he, Paris goes to Harvard and then his father passed away and he has to, just like happens even today, right? You then have to go and settle your family. You have to go take care of business. Yeah. And then so he leaves and goes down there. And I'm making a little bit of an assumption, but I think that he thinks that since he has, he's English, he's been to, to Harvard, then the new da-da-da, he thinks that a lot of that's below him. And instead of trying to work and make it better and fix it. And there had been some... And like oversee the actual plantation. Yeah, and there'd been some storm damage and some other things. He's like, I'm going to do this other thing, cut my losses, and then bounces. So we do have some actual like historical records placing him there. Um, In October 1679 census, uh, it lists Samuel as unmarried, living with two people, a slave, uh, unspecified gender and age, and an apprentice or a hired servant. He acquired a second enslaved person after that, and it is presumed that these were Tichaba and John Indian at this point. There's no direct record of it, but based on what we have, that's the assumption we can make. I, for, for a while... 
uh, I'd always thought that John Indian, we'll talk a little bit more about him, was from the New England area. Um, and like met her later on. Yeah. Reverend Paris had acquired John Indian at some point in Boston or Salem. But that doesn't seem to be accurate. Um, but also, and it's one of these weird things is we also don't know. We don't know for sure. Like it, it, the possibility that he came up here, one that passed away, and he just bought another one is also possible. Possible, but not probable. Yeah. Because, and we'll we'll talk about this a bit more. Actually, we can talk about it now. King Philip's War mm-hmm. is raging, and we've mentioned this in one of our previous episodes and how much of an impact poor relations with the indigenous definitely had a hand in setting the stage for the trials. And I think in particular when it comes to Tichaba, it influences people as to how they see her, how they perceive her. I think, and we're going to like full-blown racism here, brown is brown, right? Like they don't give a shit, you know? Whether you're a, a brown person from, you know, the the, the uh, Massachusetts tribe or the, the Namkeg tribe, or you're a brown person from the Arawak tribe. You're a native. Or a thousand miles away. In their eyes. To these English Puritans, it doesn't matter. But because of those poor relations, yeah. they, were, they were even instructed to not purchase and not take in any... Indian slaves in Massachusetts. So although it is possible that Reverend Paris came up to Massachusetts with two enslaved people, it is unlikely that he sold one of them and then acquired John. But that would be in 1680 that they went to Massachusetts. So at the end of 1680, like we're talking November, December, Samuel Paris takes Tichaba and John, presumably, and they head up north to Boston. What an idiot. Can you imagine? I, I couldn't help but I could not. <laughs> no, no, no. I do the same thing. I I'm could not you. help but think about this. I'm with you. I mean, g- give me. As Tichaba, living your entire life in South America and the West Indies, being you're, you're forced. in Barbados and Venezuela. Yeah. And enslaved or not, just. In, in that environment, going from that with all the tropical birds and the colors and the sweet potatoes to Boston in the winter. In 1692. Well, 1680. 1680. 1680. And like, like this is something that, that I experience consistently when I travel in, in Europe and, and in England. This church was built in thir- massive 10, 15-story cathedral. 20, 30 meters high, built in 1400s, right? This cathedral, you know, on this remote island dates back to the 1300s, right? These cities date back to, to, to the mid-1500s. And I look at New England and I'm like, they were living in hovels. Little wood houses. <laughs> like importing firewood because they were going to freeze to death. And like half of Europe has already been through the Renaissance, not to mention like the... the, the the architecture and, and the culture that is gorgeous. And over here in New England, they're, oh, that's going to suck. And I just can't help but think of the weather. 
It's freezing cold. You don't even know what snow is. She doesn't know what snow is. She had probably. She had never seen snow. She had probably never been cold. I think cold is subjective and relative. She hadn't been this cold. (laughs) Fair. Fair. She had probably not been in a temperature that was lower than 60 degrees Fahrenheit. No, you're you're accurate in that because in this book, they say (laughs) that she had never experienced a temperature below 50 degrees. So 50, 55, that's pretty much the lowest she had ever seen at that point. And, And it is right now like four degrees out Fahrenheit. That is, it's gonna get 20 degrees colder than that tonight. It, she'd never. And not only that, but we all know how frigid New England winters can get. The winter of 1680 to 81 was notably harsh. Boston Harbor actually froze over. It's got to be real cold to freeze salt water. I, I don't it's, even know what that takes. I don't even cold. know. Oh, Ugh. man. And... Another thing, she goes from a place where there are a lot of people that look like her, maybe not natives, but they are of African descent. Um, so at least they are people yep. of color. People of colors, right. She goes to Boston, and at that point in time, Africans made up roughly 3% of the population. It's estimated that Native Americans made up no more than 0.2% of the population. So if that just goes to show how few and far between native s- slaves were during this, Tichaba was a unique site to be seen. And what's more is most of those natives in Boston at the time were of North America, people that may have been taken captive during King Philip's War or prior to she is of the Caribbean. She looks different. Talks different. Acts different. Is is different. She is different. And if we thought that she felt alone in Barbados, oh my God. I can't imagine. But she was at the whim of Samuel Paris, and the tragedy of her story starts and ends wherever you want it to. So, of course, they didn't go right up to Salem. They did stay, <laughs> the Paris family did stay in Boston for a bit. Stay in Boston. What do you, why are you joking about that? Well, I <laughs> I mean, I guess that was their only option. Uh, you, you mean Reverend, excuse me, you mean Samuel Paris fails at yet again another business endeavor? Which one was it this time? Uh, I don't even know. Bookkeeping, accounting, merchants, shipping. He buys a, a, a dock, not a dock, sorry. A, um, a wharf? A wharf, thank you. How? How? I'm, there are ways to fail. There's there are always ways, ways to fail. To fail. Between him and and Phipps, the level of failure <laughs> of the prominent men in New England, like they are they are professional failures between these two men. Uh, but Paris, how do you how how do you take the the revenue? I don't even know. I can't even. The man gets under my skin. If you hadn't, he. He has a sugar plantation opportunity in Barbados, bails on that, thinking that business I- is his forefront in Massachusetts, where he went to Harvard, because obviously he's got a big head. He thinks he's been to Harvard. He thinks he's great. And he comes and he buys a wharf and can't manage. Imagine in Boston in, in, in 1680, not being able to manage a wharf. Sorry. 
That's okay. Just <laughs> wish we could turn something like that into a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know like, what? where is your le- level of failure? <laughs> and all the way at the bottom is you can't sustain a wharf in 1680 Boston. <laughs> like, you suck. He doesn't do so well for himself or his family, but he does start building a family. Yes. So that's one thing. So at this point, so real quick math skills, which is not my strong suit, 1680. She is roughly 14 to 18 when she arrives in Boston. So she's a teenager, but remember the witch trials are 12 years later. Betty Paris is nine. So she's not even... She's not even in our story yet. He's not even married yet. So Samuel Paris knew Tichaba before he knew his wife, before he knew any of his children. It just kind of adds like this creepy layer of understanding, like when the trials were going on, the type of relationships these people had formed leading up to it. It adds a whole different level. I don't even know. Imagine knowing this person for for over a decade so he 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 by 1692 he knew her for yeah about a decade and a half and and knowing an individual from from the age of just call it 12 to to 26 27 piece of shit sorry no not not sorry here here like no one likes samuel paris no one. Anyway. It's funny because, like, I literally put in my notes, not at this part, but when we get to 1692. So if anyone's already done the math, she is now. <laughs> <laughs> I literally wrote that. Do-do-do, <laughs> um, Boston Harbor. So I don't have a marriage for Samuel Paris and his wife Elizabeth Eldridge. But it is presumed that they got married shortly after he moved to Boston. I should say moved back to Boston. Him and Elizabeth had two children. Thomas, who was born in October of 1681. And Elizabeth, or who we know as Betty, born November 1682. It was in 1686 that Paris started on his path to becoming a minister. Just two years later, they have their third child, a girl, and they name her Susanna. Might we just say as well that Abigail Williams enters at some point, whether it is just before they move to Salem or right after they get to Salem, right right after they get to Salem. But we don't have a definite date on when she enters the family. Remember, Abigail is one of the first two main afflicted girls her parents were lost during a raid up in... She, by all accounts, saw them being murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, like, she witnessed her, her parents being killed um, during a raid up in what is today Maine. We also don't have an exact date on when the Paris family moves to Salem. And, and that's really only because there is some negotiate. There's a significant amount of negotiation between Paris and Salem Village and the parsonage, and the land, and the firewood, and the income, and the how much are you going to pay me? What am I responding? You need to fix this. We're going to fix this if you come. If I come, how much is that going to cost? And All the logistics. Yeah. There's a significant amount of logistics, which, by the way, and I'm going to also throw this out there from my 
my extensive travels in in the European continent, they have cathe- again these cathedrals that that they are just stunningly gorgeous and, and, and massive and and and, and you have to go from that to this dinky little meeting house. But some of these cathedrals take centuries to build, right? Like starts in 1350, finished in you know 1502, and you're like over the course of 200 odd years, this place is built over generations, and here in Salem. They're squabbling, like literally squabbling. To figure out firewood. To, to figure out firewood. I'm like, you people are pathetic. So we know that they reach an agreement on his salary by the spring of 1689. We're not sure on whether or not that's when they moved or it's very likely that they moved prior to, but he is preaching there by the summer of 89. At that point, the household consisted of... Him, his wife, their three children, and they had come to Salem with Tichaba, John, and a 14-year-old African boy. Uh, Unfortunately, he is unnamed, and he did die uh, that same summer. So, again, a horrible glimpse at how these people can just be written out of the record. But now they're in Salem. And that's where... We're going to pause. Oh, yeah. Because if we're going to make Bridget Bishop into two parts, we better be making Tichaba into two parts. We have whole transcripts to read. We have arrest warrants to read. We have uh, uh, the devaluation of her race in the the, the 20th century uh, misappropriation. 19th century. (laughs) 21st century. Like, Uh, all of them. We're we're not nearly done. like, like we said in the beginning, she is one of the most pivotal people uh, in, in the scope of the, the, the trials. So we've covered um, sort of a little bit of introduction, what's going on in Salem, uh, her life and, and existence in Barbados, and, and how she comes to be in Salem. And uh, you're going to have to join us in... Two weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks to get part two and really dive into her involvement in the trials black cats yellow birds nine people devil's book and blood and all sorts of other things. all the juicy <laughs> stuff we love to talk about yeah so we hope this did give you a, a good overview of her early life or at least what we can deduce about her early life something that isn't usually covered in general conversations about salem so stick with us Again, if you have a Salem love story and you want to participate in next week's episode, get those emails to us, direct message, whatever. I'll take anything at this point. It's going to be a really fun episode, and the more we have, the more fun it will be. So and again, that, that's either email hello at SalemThePodcast.com or our new Instagram, SalemThePod. Uh, check that out. Follow us. Tell us your your secret love or public love stories. Whatever. Th- hey, we we're here for all of it. Con- confess, we're here for all of it. Confess to us your dirty secrets. <laughs> that's. I feel like that's a road we may not want to go down. Oh, that, I love that road. But you just went there. Confess. Confess all your sins to confess. us. Confess. Thanks for listening. See you later. Mm-hmm.